Oh, it's one of my favorites. And I thought I would share it with you today. Monty Alexander with Bob Marley's Running, running, sorry, running Away. Uh, this is Reed Stories. I'm Patrice Reed. Good to have you uh, with us and to be together. That's great. Even though I must make mention of uh, the loss of one of my very favorite uh, vocalists, Tony Bennett, uh, who died yesterday at the age of 96 after a battle with Alzheimer's. And, uh, but he was well accounted for by the time he decided it was time to make his exit. So thank you, Tony, for your many, many years of incredible artistry. This is Lead Stories, and it is Free Your Mind Friday. What is Free Your Mind Friday? It means we are not going to be following a, how you say, a chart. It is all extemporaneous, and it is about you helping us understand the point of view about something that you have and exchanging these views. And it's, it's not just straightforward like that. What it means is that most of us, maybe not all, but most of us have the occasion to put our two cents in on a subject or an issue from time to time. But we haven't developed the full range of the, in the arsenal of what we ought to have in how to publicly communicate our views. At this point, it's important to say whatever your views are, they're yours. <laughs> you know, I'm saying begin to take very seriously the obligation you have as a potential or even an actual agent of change to use that ability and that talent and that influence very effectively. So you shouldn't be very, you know, uh, nervous about getting into the public arena to express a point of view. That should be normal. But you do have to get yourselves together to figure out what are the elements of communicating an opinion. What is an opinion? It's not just standing up in a corner someplace and talking. What is the purpose of your presentation? What are you trying to communicate? And how are you putting the pieces together to make a cogent presentation, even if it is for just a few minutes? Because everybody will be needed. Based on what we're looking at, everybody would be needed to help carry messages across. 
And that is usually based on what you believe, what your opinion is. And what is your opinion? It is in turn predicated on your study of a subject and you put together the elements that you identify with and even elements you don't identify with. But it helps you shape your position. And so by the time you get on air anywhere, you are not ruffled. You know exactly what you want to express and the world will just have to deal with it. (laughs) Now that's a really important skill. Now we, we don't talk about these things generally. We just assume, well, everybody knows how to make a phone call. Everybody knows how to make a statement. But the answer to that is no. You have to train yourself. You have to develop an almost natural skill to put things together in such a way that the thought, the main thought that you want to convey gets conveyed and with power and authority and you can come across to people as oh this person spent some time thinking about the subject i may not agree but i i certainly uh give him the nod for investing some time into putting together from his perspective what his view is That's very, very important. And so you also don't start having your knees knock each other out of fright. You're settled in your thinking. And you have looked at certain subjects that relate to where you're going to be taking us in the formulation of an opinion or an idea. And that's it. If you do that, you are, you have become a very important uh, element in struggle because you are able to express a view. Again, it is not really important whether people agree or disagree. The important thing is, are you doing the job of communicating a perspective on an issue. And if you do that, you're untouchable. <laughs> you're, you're, you're ready to go. Okay, so that's what Free Your Mind Friday is all about. In the course of the week, we are exposed to all kinds of news issues and events. And perhaps one of these, or maybe more than one, uh, kind of got to you and you thought that you would share your view on that topic. And this is your platform. As you know, I am very, very much interested in having people participate, publicly participate, share with us what you're thinking in the same way I share with you what I'm thinking. And that's how we can contribute to the 
overarching uh, mission of creating community and communities of interest. So to get this started, you kind of go through your memory bank pretty fast and you try to remember what it is that you wanted to talk about. And then you call in at 888-874-4888 and tell us what you want to talk about and why and what is your position. Again, no right, no wrong. It's just how did you situate yourself in this discussion? And how do you convey your opinions and ideas with regard to the subject you have chosen? All right. So let's see who's up first at 888-874-4888. We have Phil from California. Phil from California, you're up first. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, Utrecht. I'm sitting outside of my uh, local gym with the sound of the birds and the sunshine, so I hope it's not too noisy. No, but what do you mean you're sitting outside of a gym? You're supposed to be on the inside doing some serious exercises. Yeah, I was on the Stairmaster on hold uh, for over 30 minutes trying to get on Gary Knoll, but he, he never got to me, so... <laughs> All right, well, I admire your tenacity. So what are you talking about today? Well, um, uh, so what I'm talking about today is uh, the topic that you've been talking about. I've been listening. I've just have been at work. I haven't been able to call uh, with this new electrician apprenticeship thing going on. But uh, the presidential elections is what I want to talk about. And I guess... My opinion is that um, I, I think radio personalities and media personalities, um, if their organization or a network allows them, I think that they ought, to, especially if they're independent, I think they ought to be courageous and uh, when they assess political candidates to, to offer their assessment and... Uh, and, and maybe take a stand uh, if they do believe in, some, in, in a particular candidate or not. Um, for example, Max Blumenthal is a very respected independent journalist from the gray zone. And uh, he has been uh, honest about his analysis of the 2024 election candidates. And he didn't, he didn't hide the fact that he thinks that RF, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the best candidate um, out of, out of the, the options and the most strategic options. And uh, so, yeah, um, I guess if I could say a little more, I'll flesh out what, I, how, you know, what I'm thinking about this uh, opinion. Okay, go right ahead. Let's share what you told so, uh, what you think. Yeah. Yeah, so because, like, I, I, you know, I, I respect you and Dr. Gary Knowles so very much, but I also want to be a little critical and, you know, I was listening to you this past week, and, and people called in to support RFK Jr., and you expressed your disappointment or, like, lack of enthusiasm. And I thought to myself, I can understand why you treat is not enthused, because we've been, we've been disappointed so many times by Democrat candidates. But 
I'm a socialist and I'm against the Democrat Party, and yet I think it is the most strategic thing for us as people that are um, opposed to the two-party system that just fools the, the working-class people over and over again. I think it's the most strategic for us to support Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to get into the presidential primary and to defeat uh, the other Democrats so that he, he can have that spot. And if RFK Jr. can't make it to the presidential primary, as a Democrat, then we should support him to get into uh, a third-party ticket, and we should not give up. And if there's, if people like, for example, like yourself, if you're if you're opposed to that, then I would like to hear who you do stand for, and I would like to hear who you know. I know Dr. Gary Noll says he's not political, and a lot of people in media are not. But I feel like uh, like Kim Iverson, she's an independent media journalist, Sabi Sabs from Revolutionary Blackout Network. But I feel like we have so few leaders left that, you know, if, if media personalities were courageous like Max Blumenthal to express, you know, at least their analysis of those political candidates, I think that would be very helpful for a lot of us. Um, and, and even to the fellow callers, you know, like Henry from I, I, Chicago, I when you oppose the candidate, <laughs> you got to stand for somebody. You know, I've heard fellow people that I respect on lead stories oppose candidates and oppose elections but they don't say what they're going to do. Even Marcus from Wisconsin, who I, I just love dearly. I have so much affection for Marcus from Wisconsin. But he's not telling me what he's going to do, you know? So what are we going to do if we're not going to vote? Then what, what action are we going to take? I think we need direct action, you tree. Well, here's the thing. Um, you, you omitted a huge piece of the pie here. A huge piece. And that is... Uh, the basis on which news organizations, media organizations, are given a license uh, or they obtain a license to operate. That license curtails their um, activism in a way because the, the feeling is that to express or to champion any specific candidate's rights is, in effect, to proselytize, and that's not what we're supposed to do. It's, it's not, um, according to the powers that be, it is not sufficiently neutral. We, when we take on the role of agitation and we say, well, Fred over there, you know, forget about him, vote for Jenny instead. You know, are you being a journalist when you do that? Or are you being a champion for somebody based on what we don't know? Are you a compromised person? Or are you suggesting, making suggestions uh, in order to be helpful, to get people to begin to think and formulate their own opinions? But this is the dicey area. As journalists operating in a scenario where we have to watch um, our how where we tread, how likely we tread in this business of um, taking partisan positions, it's it's dicey. We can raise questions tactfully and so forth, but our job is not to drive the vote. Our job is to encourage people to think 
and think critically and analytically about their political choices. But we cannot and we should not go that extra length and say, well, Fred over here is a jerk. Don't vote for him. But Mary, Mary is fantastic. <laughs> vote for her. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> for one thing, you betray your own um, adherence to neutrality. You have to be neutral in a way. And we know that how hard that is to do. But it is the reason and, and the reasoning for keeping people in media at a distance from the, the whole process. Or you can report as, as thoroughly as you wish. You could get people to be interviewed and express their opinion. But you can't be an agent for the people because then you have uh, corrupted your own role. And as media people, our job is to be as clinical as we can. That doesn't mean that we, we avoid the, the truth that is staring us in the face. But we can't be enthusiastic promoters of this person or that person. You understand that? Yeah, you know, I, I thought the same thing, too, when I was a kid, a teenager, and I think I was taught that in school as well. But then as an adult in my early 20s, growing up in the Bay Area, I noticed that the San Francisco Bay Guardian endorsed candidates. And they would give us yeah. a list, of not only for the propositions, but also for the candidates. And people like the San Francisco Weekly, uh, these publications, and they, they endorsed candidates. And I thought that was awesome because, they, you know, it helped me you know, uh, think through the candidates and think through the issues. And also later on KPFA Pacifica Radio, I heard an interview with an author of a book. I think it was a Robert McKesney, and I think the co-author might have been John Nichols, who wrote about the history of uh, media in the United States. And newspapers, according to this book, newspapers used to be uh, openly partisan for whatever candidates that they believed in. If they were labor, they would support the labor candidate. You have, to, you have to do a little adjustment there. It's not that they used to be. They still are very partisan. Um, they found ways to, you know, tidy up a little bit. But uh, nobody is going to fool me into thinking that, you know, they absolutely rigidly nonpartisan. No. Yeah, but they were more, they were more, um, how do you say, they were like more straightforward about it. You know, they didn't try to hide it before. But then once advertising came in to fund uh, newspapers and publications, then they, something changed and then they started pretending, feigning objectivity. And then uh, they, the, the way these uh, media experts, I think it was Robert McChesney, they said, you know, it just kind of, uh, muddled the waters now, and it was better before when the newspaper was actually. This is oh, people, the Labor Party. It was much worse. Oh, no. Uh, the thing is that the, the, the institution that we call the media really have the, the, the membership of that institution really must take a serious look what their roles are, especially in election season. Are they being true to some high-minded ideal 
that they would give people information but not make up the people's minds. And then, and we know what the influence is. The New York Times could swear all at once about objectivity and the distance it maintains from the, the site itself, but it, it would like us to believe it's all about educating the public, which is crap. That's not about yeah. educating the public. Uh, so people have had to, you know, they maneuver uh, their way toward the predictable uh, position that they want to take. But it is just the same, and I'm glad you raised it. It's a very salient idea, and it should be openly discussed. What is the role of media? in elections and even beyond it. Um, we see all the time that media organizations are crossing some pretty dicey lines here. Let Just provide information, good information, solid information, accurate information, and leave the decisions up to the people. That's their job. That's their privilege. But we know that that isn't happening in the United States at all. Not not happening. No, it's That's not. That's why I like to encourage people oh. to think. You think what you want to think. And share with us what you are thinking. And I say all the time, it's no right or wrong. I could ask you a challenging question or two if my brain is still working. But the thing is, but the media's job, and it violated this, it used to be a sacred principle to not become an agent, but to stick with your job of reporting and reporting accurately yeah. and without prejudice. That's, that is a great goal in and of itself. So, so do you fault Max Blumenthal from the gray zone for being clear about uh, how RFK Jr. is the, the better candidate? No, I don't like anybody telling me who is a better candidate. That's my job. That's my decision. Okay. Because I may, take, I may make that decision based on some specific facts some specific knowledge and information, whereas their, uh, their reason for being public about their choice is precisely to drum up support for somebody. And that's, that's a very, very dicey question. What are, are you a journalist or are you an advanced man for a party or a candidate? Yeah, I mean, I see Max Blumenthal in the gray zone as an advocate for the people, you know, and journalism, I see journalism as advocating for the people. And so I, th I think assessing the candidates is part of that, you know, but I don't know. I know that corporate media doesn't want you to do it, so independent probably follows suit, but I think independent should, be, should do it. But the, the thing is, just to say, despite all these high-minded ideas, it comes down to the fact that people can't resist, generally, in media. They can't resist the power, the inherent power of making up other people's for them.
It yeah. can't resist it. So, so, so let me close then by speaking to my fellow listeners and really quickly, if I may, it, you know, because I'm hearing the other, my fellow listeners who I admire basically speaking against uh, participating in elections. And to me, that sounds really nihilistic. You know, all you got to do is vote for somebody and then, and then you exercise your power. We build, if we work together, we can build a political clout. And if not, we forfeit our political clout. And I think that's wrong. And I'm speaking like, you know, to, to people I admire, like Henry from Chicago and Marcus from Wisconsin. Um, but, you know, RFK Jr. testified before the U.S. Congress Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. That's an important issue. After 9-11, the U.S. federal government attacked and stole many of our human rights, right? Our constitutional rights, the Bill of Rights, our human rights were further eroded and attacked in the wake of the COVID-19 hysteria, a PSYOP, a psychological operation, the fear-mongering campaign by government establishing corporate media. And people like RFK Jr. have been censored, smeared, and marginalized for exercising the First Amendment rights. Um, but he is the only candidate who is speaking against this, and he's anti-war, the only anti-war candidate. Um, so I'm a socialist. But and we don't know. Pro-labor. We don't know if he's the only anti-war candidate. We know that in the in the scheme of things, where people try to, you know, peg you into this hole or peg you into that slot, uh, the easier it is for them to do so, they will do it. But you have raised an extremely complicated question today, and it is worth uh, exploring even further because it gets to the heart of the question, whose opinion, is my opinion sacred, or who has the authority to tell me what to think? Or... Is there going to soon be a consequence for not thinking the way the so-called general public thinks? These are you may not have been uh, thinking about these questions, uh, but these are the dicey questions that you are raising, and you're raising it in a kind of clinical way. But I can assure you, this is huge, and for many. It is at the heart of this question of what is democracy. Is democracy me and you and Fred and Mary validating our own beliefs? Or is it on us um, basically subscribing to an already created belief? Now... As, as, as you can, I'm sure it didn't really occur that the question is that complicated, but it is. It is at the very bedrock of what we call democracy. Who has the right to tell you what to think? Or, or who has the right to exercise authority over what you think? Uh, on the flip side of the coin, we readily recognize when the left or the right or the centrists are doing this and that and the next thing to twist people's way of thinking. But we seldom, we seldom apply the same thing to us generally. And this is at the bedrock of what we call democracy. Whose opinions are you extolling even now as you and I speak? Your own or the conditioned uh, view 
conditioned by people I don't even know. You don't even know. You see, it sneaks up. (laughs) It's a sneaky little thing that happens. Until you see the connection between these questions, these small questions, basically raising the big questions themselves. Are your thoughts truly your thoughts? And what right do you have, if you have any at all, to control your thoughts? Or to express your thoughts? And when you express your thoughts, are you expressing a thought? Or are you in the business of getting people's heads screwed on the way you want them screwed on? It's not an easy question. Sometimes it's the little ones that the little questions creep up, and you, you suddenly wake up out of your sleep, sweating, saying, "I had no idea that all these things were connected." Yes, they are. They're very much connected, and we, the public, the general public, we have been like sheep led to the slaughter. We don't know what we believe. And when we adopt this way of thinking, is it our genuine way of uh, that we feel, or have we been successfully conditioned? And by whom? And for what purpose? This is the the heart of the matter now, and uh, it's worth it's worth a, an extended conversation. I think, just like. No one would probably have suspected when you started today that it would pretty much germinate into a huge, a huge issue. But it is. Very much so. It's a very complex issue. But I thank you. I thank you so much for raising it. Because uh, it's a question that has dogged U.S. society for decades and decades now, who has the power to interfere with your right of independent thought? And for what purpose? You see, you cause trouble. That's the whole thing. <laughs> but good trouble. Good trouble. Thanks for calling in and getting us hip to looking behind uh, the, the curtain, as it were, so that we can appreciate the complexities of things that we routinely uh, present as things we, we, we understand these things, but we really don't. Agree? He's not there, you I think so. Yeah, Okay. He's gone. Thanks, Phil. You did a masterful job today. Thank you for introducing this element, which didn't seem like it was the main thing you were after. And this is the beauty of conversation. When we start clearing the dust away and you start getting of it, you go, well, wait a minute. I didn't expect it to go in this direction. 
I wasn't expecting this, and that's the beauty of it. It's a very complex world, and we are always trying to simplify it rather than say, let's look at the component parts and let's decipher that and see what the relationship is between us and those things that we supposedly believe, which we will soon discover, are things that we are told to believe. Amen. To, uh, your, <laughs> your turn next at 888-874-4888 is Free Your Mind Friday. Maybe you have something to free your mind of today. What would that be? Marcus from Wisconsin. Uh, Marcus from Wisconsin, you're on the air. Good afternoon, you trees. Um, Good afternoon. Fascinating conversation you just had. Um, I think so too. Thank you. Uh, um, I, I'm, I'm calling uh, because uh, as you're changing your uh, broadcast time. Uh, I'd, I'd like to say to you and to your listening audience, I want to say something about the value of your program and what you do here, because I think people may overlook it as it becomes so familiar sounding uh, to them. And it ties in very nicely, I think, with your last conversation. So uh, if you'll bear with me, uh, whenever I hear somebody say, tell me what to think, you're not telling me what to think. The, the first thing that registers with me is it, it's a reflection of how lousy our educational system is. You know, uh, who will lead me uh, who's going to tell me what to value? Who's going to tell me what to think? What political animals spoor can I follow? Like a good little ewe lamb with my tail wagging. Look, research RFK. Research RFK. What wagging? Your tail? Don't. Don't wait for somebody to tell you whether he's a good guy or a bad guy or look for somebody on a screen who's going to tell you the truth and is an advocate for you, Max Blumenthal or Tucker or Sean Hannity or Jimmy Dore or somebody. These are people engaged in the media business. If you want to understand what's going on with RFK, go back and, oh, just for instance, check out his stance on vaccines in 2016 or what he had, or when he was whooping for lockdowns in 2021 or the three times he endorsed Hillary Clinton. And, and she was all for all that stuff. I'm not telling you to think anything. No one's going to. Just do your research. There are libraries all over the place, as you admonished somebody yesterday to do. Do that. Yes. And, and, and what I want to say to, to you is 
what you present to people and is is a rare opportunity because you give something that the other media does not and cannot you know to 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 listen to people talk about you know i follow this person or i follow that person and i rely on them for truth or something you would think that they are free minds who, you know, are talking in a vigorous and lively style and they've really examined the limits of, you know, what's rational in their speech. And they're really against uh, any attempt uh, by any group to dominate society. And they're always looking for new ways to present their views. Uh, And you would think they're part of a real movement that's interesting and helps people in their desire for freedom and uh, independence. And, you know, I'm trying to bring out the best in you and make politics purer. But, but listen to them, whether they're left or right. It's the same dreary bunch of politicians and pundits talking in their usual constipated style. They just repeat their standard slogans over and over. You know, they're mainly concerned with just these political monstrosities that don't really have any objective reality. It's just stuff that emanates from political parties. And and if you listen to them, they're either they're either really frightened or they're nasty, depending on what kind of opposition they get. They have, most of them have a bare minimum of imagination. They, they don't criticize. They, they don't actually invent new ways of putting things into perspective, right? But they just reject what they don't like with their standard slogans, you know, and that's what they do. This is this is communications that that's perfectly suited to the managerial class, people who are very you know critical in quotation marks, but they're too afraid to actually bear any responsibility for the attacks they make. And so they look for the security of a political party or, you know, well, this is what Max Blumenthal told me or something like that. And it's, it's kind of a, it's a kind of a place to hide. They don't really have a consistent line of thought it's just confused rambling about politics. But in fact, there is not one interesting event in the whole history of society that you can explain using the explanations you get in politics. Not one. It can't stand six months of social development before it's all nonsense. You know, and your program allows people to even challenge themselves on the air to, to actually, it's, it's a place to experiment and fail and, and, and maybe succeed with your own ideas. And one of the things I love about 
what you do is the fact it, it's actually inspired by um, you know I, I I'm influenced by a lot of ancient writers and briefly there one of the things that influenced me most as from a, the time I was a kid on is called the Arrestia. It was written by a guy named Aeschylus, and the story is basically Orestes has to avenge the death of his father. It's it's demanded by tradition and the law. He has to do it. There's no way around it. But the only way he can do it is to kill his mother. So he realizes that no matter what he does, he's committing a horrible crime. And toward the end of the trilogy, I mean, the, the ancients didn't write like novels. It becomes clear by the end of the trilogy that he's paralyzed. He can't move. He, he's immobilized by these demands. All he can do is change the rules. That's the only option. I think that's where we are politically. I think that's where we are in our political discourse, our discourse about everything, our social discourse about science, about society, about each other, all the stupid rules we have been given, all the stupid procedures just immobilize us. They don't let us go forward, and we have to create a new. And that's what you provide with this program, and to which I am deeply grateful to you and deeply appreciative. And I hope you will take this same spirit, and I have no doubt that you will, into your new, uh, into your new broadcast time which I'm where I'm sure you will thrive further. So having said that in the future, if you will permit me uh, when I call, I will start laying out for people just some of the possible options one could explore besides these narrow circumscribed paths we are given to follow that lead us in nothing but a circle. And nowhere. Wow. Thank you, Eutrice. That is quite insightful. And yes, indeed. Um, I don't really say it publicly, but my own thinking is very much in line with what you just described. People may resent the idea of having to struggle to get to a point of enlightenment, even about what they believe, but it's worth it. And don't just accept wholesale what Fred says and Mary says and what John says, but you place yourself in the middle of the action and you ask yourselves the, the questions that need to be answered having to do, not with the objective facts necessarily, but why are you pursuing an answer to this question? And that is uh, a big deal, a big deal. And I have found that when people undertake this kind 
They're unbeatable. <laughs> we just you're not going to get anywhere close to where their minds are, what their thinking is, because they have taken something and looked at it in all its dimensions for themselves, so that whatever they extract from that process is genuine, even if it is not necessarily accurate. But it's genuine because the person has undertaken an exploration uh, that fulfills the need to know, but on your own terms. That's very important. Um, my father was uh, something like this. He was not a very educated man, but he encouraged us to formulate our own thoughts and understand the what we are yielding to. What is it about this particular question that causes you to think that you should look at it uh, more deeply? It's very important. It sounds simple, but it's a huge exercise. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you are with the fact that you're different. You're thinking differently from most people, but you're okay with it because it makes sense. And because you bothered to look into things that you probably wouldn't even look at, you just accept what the, the uh, definition is and go with it. And that's, to me, uh, a really important part of struggle and of building community where you start with yourself. Very important. Thank you for calling in. It's always you, enlightening when you, when you share your thoughts. Thank you. All right. We have some time for you at 888-874-4888 at this edition of Free Your Mind Friday. What do you want to free your mind of? Let's hear it. Gino oh, from the Bronx. I'm sorry? Gino from the Bronx. Oh, Gino. Hey, Gino. How you doing? Good day. Good day to be alive, you trees. I think Good so. Good news. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, what's on my mind? The other day, I was making carrot juice, celery juice, romaine lettuce, ginger. I had to stop the machine to come on and say some things. Uh, like to call it before Marcus, I felt a little, uh, it was one-sided, uh, it was a little too much of mud throwing, and I uh, couldn't get on, but I, I continued making the juice afterwards. The machine was off. It was a hassle to clean that carrot juice off the plastic, but it was worth it. So I tried. So I'm on today. Uh, Tony Bennett, um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I uh, didn't know the news till you said that. I met him about 22 years ago when I was working part-time as a doorman, and uh, I came out of the building, almost ran into him on a rainy day, opened the umbrella to bring the mail to the doctor next door. And I had saw his, seen his art show the day before at the National Art Gallery. And, uh, so yes, I he was quite an artist. Quite an artist. Well, he, that's right. He, he, he did such lifelike 
portraits of Billy Holiday, Frank Sinatra, you know, Duke Ellington. He wouldn't sell those, though. So the paintings went from 1600 to 35000 at that time, 36000 And I said, you know, I, get, I have to work a little overtime to get one of your paintings. I really enjoyed the show. <laughs> so uh, I said, you know, I saw Joe Williams. I saw, uh, you know, I saw Ray Charles at the Blue Note, the only person I haven't seen. And he smiled. He said, I'll be there next year. So I missed him. But I did catch him about uh, five years ago at Lincoln Center. I had a dream with him out west. My wife looked it up, and he was coming to New York, and she got me a ticket for my birthday, and I saw him, and uh, he did that song, How Do You Keep the Music Playing, with uh, yeah. with uh, oof, uh, the, the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. And uh, Aretha, I yeah. tell you, I was way up in the nosebleed section. I had my binoculars, but I could feel the spirit of that song, and it just went right up there to the rafters and just took me away. And then they, they, had, they had the duets on 13. He said, She said that was one of the magical moments doing that duet with him on, on the Channel 13 special. And you see him with tears in his eyes. Now, he's a great artist, but as I told him, I said, I know in the 60s you, think, you did things to pacify yourself, you know, that were dangerous, but I know you know how to meditate now. And he got these twinkly eyes, and he smiled. And I said, you know, I said, and the thing is, he named the school in Queens for these youngsters with all these creative abilities. He didn't say the, the, uh, the you know, the, the uh, he called it the Frank Sinatra School. He didn't call it the Tony Bennett School. But the thing I know the most about him is he's such a humble person and if you ever look at him he's always encouraging other artists and giving praise where he didn't just take from them and not give praise he always acknowledged people so for me the major art in life is the art of living now what he did with his painting what he did with his voice certainly beautiful so he's got a good report card and uh you know, I, I've been playing for him anyway. I got him on my prayer list while he was on the earth. Now I'll just change it over to the ledger where he's in the spirit world and send my love to him uh, for for what he's done to uh, allow for, what to say, democracy and not being divided by the race or the class or anything like that or the religion and uh, just basically being a loving person and exuberating that through his art and his personhood. So that. That's that was that. The thing I got me uh, uh, and you, Eutrice, you. What got me was the other day was you were told you're going to go again, and yet you came back. And when I hear that, and I said, just make the bridge, Eutrice, from that to the politics. You know, Robert Kennedy Jr. <laughs> he's at the twenty percent. You know, and they keep saying twenty percent for the last two months. He started it seems like at twenty percent. But the thing that I have to say the most of all this is. We need, in a democracy, we need the information. But when they kept him off the air for 16 years, and the only one who put him on was Tucker, and then Tucker, because he crossed that third reel like Bill Mars and, uh, uh, you know, uh, was it uh, Phil Donahue years ago, Bill Moyers, once they got too strong about speaking on behalf of the people, they were all removed from the media. Now, Tucker, he stepped on that line. He went against the Ukraine war. He went against Big Farmer, the commercials influencing the truth. And they couldn't keep him on. So he went from $5 million to $100 million. I don't know much about him other than the fact that he put Robert Kennedy on Fox News. And now he's got 100 million people. So what may sway the difference this time around is the independent media that is actually bigger 
than the mainstream media now. And that's something that I think is going to toss this election. So if you go to the Joe Rogans, you go to the Tucker Carlson, and, and they allow the democratic process to play out where people should speak both sides. Like my belief is Fauci should have debated Kennedy, showed that he's wrong in his science, so I people like me don't follow those that information of what Gary was presenting with Dr. McCall and the others, Dr. Salenko. So I don't lose my job because I don't want to take a vaccine when I heard everything I heard on the radio here. So as a public responsibility, they should have exposed them. The fact that they wouldn't debate them, that showed me right there that they had irresponsibility of their position. And now that we know, then they said that we're going to tell you the truth 75 years from now. So it's all about presenting both sides, a real democratic process. We know now... You know, every commercial is basically, thanks to Bill Clinton, a drug commercial. They're not going to tell us the truth about drugs. And they're certainly not telling us the truth about war and the money that's going there. So, so my whole thing ultimately is the democratic process to continue because it's never to be taken for granted. Certainly there are forces that want to eliminate it even more when there was many, what to say, dozens of newspapers. Now we're down to what, two? Uh, there was, uh, everybody had a chance to, to give feedback on the other side. Now it's more one-sided. So, uh, and the fact that Robert, you know, granted, nobody's a saint in politics, but the fact remains that Jack Kennedy did not want to go into Vietnam. He had advisors, and, he had, and, uh, and after he was killed, uh, you know, the, uh, Johnson, the first thing he did was throw troops into Vietnam. When he died, his brother, Robert, said, I won't know what happened to I'm elected president. Well, he didn't make it. His son, Robert Kennedy Jr., was holding his hand while he was dying. He overcame heroin addiction. He's speaking out against the CIA. He's speaking out against war. He's taking a chance on his life. So when I hear people say they threw him out there, Marcus, you said that. That, to me, was very, very small-minded, and you've got a bigger brush. When I see the bigger big brush approach with anything, I'm suspicious of who's ever saying that. And what the man said before, what are you doing, Marcus? You're a good speaker, but what, do you, what is your plans? What are you doing in your neighborhood? I haven't heard that one yet. So you're a good but speaker. That's also, I, said, I think that also is the wrong question. You know, it's not what you were doing and what you're doing. Who is, in, sure who is in a position to judge what are we doing? the validity of what anybody's doing? I'm just, I'm just satisfied if people develop self-initiative to broaden their view of the, of the world and their place in it. That's a great place to start. Absolutely. My father, who was not a very educated man, my father was a, not a very educated man, but on Saturday, Saturday nights, he held a session called Constitutional Talks. That's it. That's right. And you ain't going to bed until you answer and, those questions. That's <laughs> it. You're not going to bed until you answer the question to his satisfaction. Right. But mom would say, we, need, go to sleep. we need to do this for ourselves. We need to expand our understanding of the world around us and our place in it. We need to do that ourselves. That's nobody else's job. But that's the end of our program today. And I want to thank you all for always motivating me and motivating each other to dig deeper every time we connect. Okay, have yourself a great weekend. Be safe and have some fun. And let's talk again on Monday. 
Bye-bye.